Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. For our guest today, please welcome Kirsten Ritchie, professional engineer, principal, and director of sustainable design at Gensler. Kirsten serves as one of Gensler's leading sustainability ambassadors, championing healthful and forward-thinking design solutions and leading public discussions around the innovative and high-performance design and operation. Kirsten is also a recognized authority in green product standards and sustainability rating systems, including LEEDS and LBC. For more information, you can visit www.gensler.com. That's gensler.com. Hello, Kirsten. We're thrilled and honored to have you on the Modern Architect Show today. Well, I am thrilled and delighted <laughs> to be here. We started off already. <laughs> uh, just for our audience here, we've had a great time touring the new Gensler offices in San Francisco. They're terrific, and uh, we'll, let's touch into this. Can you share with us some of your early inspirations, if you will, as far back as you can recall for... If you can put yourself, obviously you're here, how you are now to where you kind of kind of got this inspiration to be where you are now, you know, in your own mind's eye. Sure. So I think one of the things it's it kind of interesting how one evolves. And early on, I, as a student, I will always love math and science. And I was taking a road trip with my father. He did a lot of work down in Central America. And we were down there. I was a, in sixth grade doing a father-daughter trip. Oh, nice. And we were, went to a big silver mine in the heart of the Honduran jungle. And the dad had to go and meet with the plant managers and stuff. And so the plant engineer, who was actually a Scott, really nice, cheerful fellow, said, well, I'll give your daughter a tour. And so we started chatting. And he said, so what do you like in school? And I said, well, I love math and I love science. And he says, well, this is math and science come to life. It's engineering. And it's like, okay, that's what I'm doing. So I, you know, it was, it was really lucky. Those, those, you know, random chances. 12, 13 years old. Yep. Yeah. Sixth Mm -hmm. grade. Mm Mm-hmm. So ever since then, I was always on that path. And, you know, I grew up in, San, in, in the Bay Area, in San Francisco, and we have a beautiful, beautiful environment. But I also got, you know, with my family traveled a lot in different areas. Mm-hmm. And you realize how blessed we are with our blue skies and our blue water. And many places don't have that. So I focused in on the, kind of the environmental side of engineering when I went to Berkeley and continued that on when I then got my master's at San Jose State. You know, it's always been trying to say, how do we have, how do we create better, healthier air, bluer water, bluer skies? And I, I ended up on the cleanup side. Okay. Yeah. My career is definitely, you know, the clear ladder thing, no ladder. Okay. It's all a jungle gym all over oh, the place, really? you know, but that's, you know, it's a great way to think about okay. your career. Don't think about it as a ladder. Think about it as a jungle gym because there's many different ways to get to the top, right? Oh. And sometimes you go well up and sometimes it. you go down and there's a lot of sideways. But I actually started out working for the Regional Water Quality Control Board. It's a state agency here that protects water quality, waters of the state of California. And a set of regulations had just been issued to look at the impact landfills, so garbage dumps, were having on our water. And finding out, indeed, they were having big impacts, right? Because we don't see anything. So what happens Mm -hmm. is, you know, the stuff goes into a hole in the ground. And then actually one of the big holes in the ground, a lot of the golf courses around here used to be those holes in the ground. And I was visiting Alameda, the one in Alameda right next to the Oakland airport. And there were, you know, people were out there fishing, kids were flying their kites, but then you turn around, big hole in the ground, all this junk's going in, it's nylons and raid cans and furniture and old mattresses, and you look in that hole, and it's full of water. 
and it's kind of black ucky water. And then you walk to the edge, which is at the bay, and you see that black ucky water going into the bay. And, you know, you see the nexus. And that the problem that we have is, in many cases, is people say, like, with, with, with your garbage, you put it away. I grew up in San Francisco. It went to the alley, and I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Did any, you know? Yeah. I grew up in was. San Mateo. I was born in okay. San Francisco. Well, and so, yeah. you know, you know, the yeah. whole area went candlestick, right? Yeah. And so that, again, it, it, that, that really got me galvanized into we've got to do a better, better job at how we manage our wastes. And so I was at the regional board, and then I went to Contra Costa County, helped develop the first office paper recycling program for the county first. Whoa. The first household houses waste collection program ended up running their wastewater treatment plants. Uh, <laughs> Stop it. No, no. I told you. I'm jumped just for our audience. I'm and I really? was 25. <laughs> oh, are you kidding? I, no, I was serious. It was crazy. 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 You were on fire. Uh, yeah. But then I went and so I, I had I had enough time in, in public service. I'd want to do that. And then I went into private sector, went to work for an engineering firm here on the peninsula, Brian Kangas Falk, which is still around doing okay. great. And there I was actually working for some of the big disposal company, garbage companies, helping them with the design of, of new facilities. Part of that was the creation of the Newbie Island recycling plant down there on Newbie Island. That was the first big multi-material recovery facility. Yeah, um, noticing that. firsts in your career. Yeah, there are a lot of those. Career. Yeah, yeah. Well, because it was emerging, right? Okay. I mean, we had nobody had really paid attention to it before. So, so I worked for them for a while. Ended up going to Dames and Moore, which is now part of URS. Went back to the cleanup the cleanup site, doing a lot of hazardous waste site cleanup. And then I'd had enough. I said I need a break. Emotionally, was, mentally, emotionally, emotionally, mentally, mentally, yeah. Okay. Mentally, and so I took a few years off and went to high tech. Because I love technology, I had our technology, mm-hmm. and actually did early on started doing a lot of data mining, data warehousing. Did you? <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. Really, it was really cool. Then the recession hit. This is the early one in 2000, mm-hmm. and because I was part of a emerging dot com that didn't survive, I said, and I was tired of commuting around the bay, and I had two young kids at the time, and I said, I want a new job, but has to be in Oakland, Berkeley, or Emeryville. I'm tired of this commute stuff. You were adamant about that. I was out of that. And I said, it'd be either technology or environment. Go back in the environment. And I ended up becoming the, uh, got a job very quickly thereafter as director of environmental claims for scientific certification systems. One of the first big green product certification companies. There's another first. There was another first. I know. I'm sure we're not done. There's a lot of firsts for (laughs) you. There's a lot of firsts. And that's really where I started to get heavily on let's, it was, it was not the cleanup side. It was actually influencing and doing stuff right to begin with. Right. So really working with product manufacturers that were doing things like starting to incorporate more recycled content in their products, helping to close the loop, designing more circular products. We did a lot on how to produce products that were low emitting. Right, that didn't give off a lot of formaldehyde gas, that kind of stuff. And so we developed certification systems based a lot on what had been done in California on air quality testing and, and saying, okay, we're looking for low emitting products. So it really helped to that. And that's, you know, kind of getting in on let's do n- not less bad, but more good. That's I like it. that. Less, not do. Not do less bad, but more good. Okay. How do so, you influence, being the first, obviously you have to influence people. And you said that word there. Do you have a, a, a mental process that you go through to say, hey, look, here's what we need to do and here's why? Well, you know, there's, it's it, very interesting and different people react differently. I know from the environmental perspective, you know, we tip, typically have come from the, it's the right thing to do. It's the moral imperative. Okay. And that gets you so far. But the truth is that you only really get people engaged. You have, we have to find a way to put it on the happy side. And to make oh, people want like to that, do that, you know, that really, it really, if I, if we can, you know, bring people along because they want to versus they f- we have to push them because they have to, oh. it makes a world of difference. And so I think that's one of the things that we really, you know, really, how do, how do I, how do we excite our designers? How do we excite our clients to do the right thing? You know, it's great to have codes that we have here, like in, in California right now that are really, you know, requiring all new buildings to start to get to mm-hmm. like net zero energy or net zero carbon. But the more we can actually engage and excite our clients and our designers that that's just to, to do it because they like it and they can they can have a great story to tell and they know that they're doing their part that's much better so so it, it really is the more we can do things that, that make people happy and have them do happy you know implement that then we're going to be much more effective you're going to you're going to 
everybody's going to do it. Yeah. Can you share with us an example or a story of where that actually occurred from kind of, obviously we don't have all day, but from beginning to end, like how they were like, what is this to, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I contributed. Um, well, if you, from a client you perspective, names, yeah, but, yeah, but well, from a client perspective, we want to, we do a lot of work with SFO, San Francisco. Okay. Oh, yeah. Ivor Sotero, you work with yeah, Ivor? Yeah, okay. Ivor, we've done, you know, over the years, long time with John Martin, who was the director before. And, you know, kind of started with our terminal, really our Terminal 2 project, which was the renovation of the old central terminal there. And, you know, we really were brought in the whole idea of how to have a great customer experience and yet also do really smart stuff from a energy and environmental perspective. So the airport actually, we, we recommended that they pursue going for LEED certification. It was one of the first airports to go for LEED certification. And they said, oh, you know, we're getting this. We understand it. You know, we come from a city that is somewhat environmentally oriented, but what does it really mean when you apply it to something like mm -hmm. a terminal, right? Where you've got millions yeah. of people going through every year. So, so that, you know, really helped to kind of galvanize and move things forward with SFO. And SFO really has taken it and pushed it. And they now have what they call their big, hairy, audacious goals, getting to net zero carbon, getting yeah. to net zero energy, getting to net zero waste. And, you know, it's influencing, of course, all subsequent design. But you have a client that's really passionate about it and it makes it then all that better for the design teams. So now we're working on the Terminal 1 that's actually currently being renovated. It's yes. a project to the full renovation basically from the ground and back up again. And that one, you know, the challenge was how do we get to net zero energy? Well, we're not getting to net zero energy, but we are reducing the energy use from where we started, where it's operating right now, 77% to when it starts to, op to operating. I mean, it's huge. It's enormous. And at the same point in time, we're increasing the passenger th throughput about, you know, 70% going from 10 million to 17 million passengers a year. How right? many? We're going, it's going to 17 million from 10 million now. And at the same point in time, we're reducing its energy use about 77%. And the oh. carbon footprint, we're bringing way down as well for both, you know, the, the carbon footprint of the energy that's used to operate, but also in the materials. And that's okay. a, you know, something that's really important. I think we really want, you know, kind of where, if, if you would ask me, where am I paying attention to? I'm paying attention to carbon that we use to run our buildings and that we use in, in the manufacturing materials. So the response, it sounds like obviously they were very responsive and excited about mm -hmm. it. How much influence is that? Is that spread out to other airports? Or, I know we're on I mean, airport the, topics. SFO but. is is center in in um, in the aviation industry. Um, is it really right now? On in terms of our yeah, SFO, our SFO, oh, wow. and actually a lot of airports are really getting onto it as well. The airlines, a lot of the airlines are coming in with you know kind of low carbon commitments, and their big challenge, of course, is the fuel source that they use for their planes. But they're working very much with a lot of the airports around how do we really become you know better stewards of the resources that we use to move people around. Um, and you know, airplane transport is just going out of the people are love to fly right yeah. it used to be and i think i believe it's, it's the facebook factor actually it's really interesting because yeah really? if you, I ta you look at my kids you have you know two boys they now have friends around the world that they stay in contact with facebook oh, yeah. so if they want to go to bangkok there's friends that they're there they can go to bangkok you know 15 years ago you didn't know anybody in bangkok and it's like not so <laughs> yeah. you know issue but now and so so that's an, a market where we really want we know it's going to grow and we need to be doing smart things about it and fortunately airport industry is is actually taking it on yeah, yeah. well you, the example you shared with us with gensler and it's in the new move how else are you impacting the companies or clients that you work with into that sort of a holistic design thinking yeah so i think one of the ways we actually are looking and saying what we've we've started to capture a lot of data on our own projects and saying what is our impact and how are we improving or reducing impact and so we actually released our impact by design report that really looked at, you know, how, how we're doing overall. We're about to release our, our 2018 impact by design. You know, we touch 1.2 billion square feet of real estate a year. Oh. It's a lot. Okay. <laughs> I like that. It's a yes, lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We're <laughs> Stop. I love how you, you do that. That's great. You know, and we're, we're tracking, I think, you know, somewhere on average of, you know, our buildings are performing you know, if we use the baseline of the energy code that was in, in, in the kind of mid 2000s, we're somewhere around 50% less energy than, than, than that baseline, which is amazing. There's some projects that are doing a lot better and some projects that are doing 
not so well, but we're starting to track it. And really, you know, it's, it's about in many cases, again, the transparency and the accountability, but we have to get the data. And so, you know, putting in the systems in place to get the data, to understand how we're performing and then figuring out what we can do. And so again, this is back to, you know, how, how we can make a difference. One of the things I've, we just came back from our principals retreat. We all, all the principals of the firm get together once a year. And we had one little ask of them. It said, you know, for every one of your projects, there's a little thing that you, one little thing that you can do relative to carbon question, carbon question. You know, it may be specifying low carbon car- carpet. Okay. It may be, you know, pushing the energy performance a little bit more. It may be generating a little power, but there's something you can do. So what is that one little thing that you can do on every one of your projects to help us reduce our carbon emissions from our portfolio? You got me going. What yeah, is, so, what, well, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's huge, yeah. there's all kinds of things. I mean, even interesting stuff that's happening is the idea of going all electric, getting away from um, gas, going electric. And as, because as we have more and more renewable power, like here in California, that's going to be clean power operating your buildings. And so, you know, challenges like for our, our, like retailers saying how to, or restaurateurs getting you off the gas, you know, okay, yeah. broiler, you know, or to uh, a, a, you know, gas stovetop to go to induction, which is all electric. But Actually, it generates healthier air in the kitchen because you don't have as many, you know, you don't have the gas flames coming mm-hmm. off. And you can, you know, power it from the solar panels you have in the roof of your building. So there's all kinds of things that, that people can do, just little things. And all those little things start to add up, make yeah. a big, 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 big impact. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. The Museum of American Heritage chronicles the evolution of technological invention from 1750 to 1950. MOA, M-O-A-H, is housed in an historic house and garden in downtown Palo Alto. The museum collects, preserves, and exhibits ingenious electrical and mechanical devices that have changed our lives. The museum is open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 11 a.m. until 4 p.m., except during exhibit changeovers. If you'd like to know more or become a member or volunteer, visit moah.org. We're talking today with Kirsten Ritchie, professional engineer, and Director of Sustainable Design at Gensler. You know, you were asking about the kind of one little thing and how we get the clients engaged yes. and, and how, how do they take it. And, you know, every, everybody kind of reacts differently. The more data we have, the the better that, 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 that we can actually show with making a difference, whether it is, you know, truly reducing the, you know, energy use and the carbon footprint of the project. But, you know, the more that people are engaged, Right. And so that's, I think, one of the sweet spots that we're always looking for is how do we how do we mesh and how do we come up with that perfect nexus of being really smart from a sustainability perspective, using less energy, you know, being smart about water, generating less carbon, but creating environments that people thrive in. Right. And we want to do both. So the things that we've learned, like, for example, get people to, you know, watch the ergonomics of your furniture. You need to get people up and down where you're not designed to sit all day, right? Yes. So you get people <laughs> up and up, up and active. And guess what? Maybe they have lower, fewer back pain so that they are actually, you know, not out of the office or sick as much, yes. right? Or having to make doctor's calls. Natural light is so important, you know, to just being, get that. So, so getting rid of all the walls, and bring it down and get, letting people have access to light makes a huge difference on how people feel. I like how you said huge. You it really, is huge. Yeah, <laughs> you definitely do that. Yes, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. So, you know, that is one of those things where, again, where we have a living lab here at our office, right? And so for those clients that are a little reticent saying, I don't really want to give up my private office, you bring them here and you have them you know, yeah. work and hang out for a little while and then they, you know, you kind of get it. So, so there's a fair amount of that showing, you know, that telling, that storytelling, but actually enabling people to experience. Yeah. So, so, and, and with anything, as we try and, and be more sustainable, as we try to be more responsive and develop environments that really celebrate well-being of people, that we want to, you know, deliver the experience and actually, and actually live it so that, our clients yeah. can, can experience it a while. Yeah, I like that. You said celebrate well-being mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. Does, it, does it, the design and the, the process start with that human? 
Yeah, it does. I mean, okay. for Gensler, we are all about, you know, we're the architects of the interiors, right? It's, and it's all about the experience of the people and the well-being of people, first and foremost. And so you're looking at, you know, how do you, how do you create environments that really encourage health and wellness? How do you create environments that encourage that, uh, that support the, the, the kind of work modes that you want to work in, whether or not you need to be very collaborative on a project team or whether you do focus work and how you design, you have to think about that from that perspective. How do you, in, in, you know, engage community? Right, because people want to feel that they're part of both their community within their office, but also locally, right? And what what are the and it's there are many design strategies that we do for that. And then also, how do you showcase that information to your people? You know, being transparent, measuring things, being accountable, being transparent, saying this is what this is what's happening, and be honest about it, good, bad, or ugly. Yes. So that's kind of the core kernel of, okay, you know, designing for well-being, because then it also translates into, you know, productivity improvements, helping companies be, you know, become more profitable, reducing their, reducing turnover, you know, and bringing on new employees is very, is, is an expensive and, and wrenching endeavor. Yes. And so, you know, how you design space, they want to, the people want to stay there. That all comes together. So that's, you know, one very key thread or probably our primary thread, okay. really. We then have the kind of more traditional sustainability or resource conservation thread of, you know, looking at, again, energy conservation and reducing carbon footprint and, you know, being smart about water, being smart about our materials. We also have a third emerging thread that we're really, you know, tackling, and that's one of resilience. Right. How do we how how do we design whether it is a master planning, a community, a, a new housing, you know, mixed use housing development or even a new office? How do you you know, those things that you need to be thinking about to make it more resilient, to be able to respond to the, the, the increasing number of shocks and stressors that we have, whether it's heat wave, whether it's extreme rainfall that you're seeing in like in North Carolina mm-hmm. or the wildfires that we had here. And so, you know, there are things like even at the airport, when you're starting to address it's right on the water, drilling sea level rise, saying, well, you know, maybe all that critical equipment we have, we shouldn't be putting it in the basement tunnels. (laughs) You know, you might want to think about moving some of that stuff to the second story, right? So those, you know, having to, to, to think about that as well is kind of a third key thread that we have to all weave together to, you know, really design space that we believe and hope is going to be operational for hundreds of years, but really be smart about it. Kirsten, is, is there not a building you can improve? Really? If you we go can improve them all. No, let's. Okay. Yeah. Yep, I'm with you. Okay. I, you know, I'll say, I mean, I'm not a hundred percenter, so I'd say ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the buildings we can improve. <laughs> wow. Really? So even really? those that we are, we're looking at now, oh, yeah. you, you can you know that if you've you may have been in some of them. But yeah, if those you haven't, that you can see exactly what they need to do to bring it up to that. Like you say, right. celebrate the well being of people. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that the people aren't as uh, you know, they're lethargic or not engaged. as interested in engaged. You right. know? Yeah. When you walk off an elevator, I mean, you get, you just sense, right? Immediately. You're, tar- it's like, you're starting at the elevator. Oh yeah, of course. God. You walk and it's like, oh, is it draining or is it, is, you know, my entrance experience, is it delightful? Right. Or it's even actually, delightful. you know, <laughs> walking, getting off BART and coming up the stairs and then walking down the sidewalk and seeing, am I seeing people around? Am I seeing a life around? Do I, when you walk in and the attendants in the lobby, uh, are they smiling because they're enjoying, you know, their environment or are they frowny facing? Right. And then it's like, and that, that, sorry, that you know, frowny face. So there's a design the term, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it makes a huge difference. I think that's one of the things that also to me is really is so critical is we always have to be thinking about that ground plane experience. And it's for the people that are coming into the building, but for the ones that are walking by it as well, right? You want to see life. And I think that's one of the, we, one of the challenges that we've had with a lot of high rises is they've neglected that. But now in you know, San Francisco is really one of the drivers to say we have to have a lot more public space that's available even in these big buildings. And so you're seeing a lot more activation. I mean, you go to the corner Salesforce right there, you know, anybody can go and sit in that, in that space and watch the great digital display and, you know, pretend they're in a national park. And, and oh, really? Re- oh, yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. And I think so a lot more, you know, how we activate these traditional commercial business districts that, you know, are kind of dead zones on Saturdays and Sundays. I mean, that's my, my trick for when you know that central planning is working or not. Is a Starbucks closed on a Saturday? I mean, there's the like, come on, really? 
There's oh, not so enough people you around. That. You can gauge that, okay. right? And you can know that it's not working. And so I think that's where I'm kind of spinning it around here, but where we're really looking, saying we no longer want to have communities where this is the central business district and where people work nine to five, Monday through Friday. And then this is the you know residential area where people go all those other hours. And then you've got your retail over here. We're it's got we got to mix it up because that enables us to take much better advantage of our infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. You look at I mean we've got tons of passenger capacity on BART and Munich. Yes. We just don't have a lot of it. We don't have any of it left, right? Between six and nine in the morning coming yeah. into San Francisco <sighs> and four to eight at night going away from San Francisco. But the rest of the time, there's tons of capacity. But because of the way, you know, we have these these pods of, of, of zoning, which is traditionally what's happened in, in the United States and actually many countries around the world in the last hundred years, we have to go back to, no, we need to mix it all up because that will enable, our, enable us to take much better advantage of our infrastructure. Yeah, not only is just from your experience, but also your own vision. It just, it sounds to me like, uh, I'm not sure you turn it off. Really? No, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you can't, I don't turn it off. <laughs> you don't know really so i know you have working hours technically yeah, no, no, but yeah yeah my my mother would always crack up she goes kirsten you're the only person i know who says yay it's monday <laughs> do you really no, i, I love yeah i love Monday. i love my work i mean oh, I, yeah you know, no no it's, everyone it's, ought to yeah and so yeah. it sounds like you but, but no you can't i mean you know i am one of the strong believers and have always been an active it's like i don't have my work life and my home life i mean there's they're very very integrated i'm most satisfied that way i think a lot of people really are there's certain jobs then maybe d- that doesn't lend itself to that, but you know, in a in a design profession and a thinking kind of creative class, um, you you know, it's you want them woven together. Yeah. So you know, it's wonderful when you go on trips and you observe and saying, okay, how is this city working? You know, why is this part working so well? And I love being here, and this other part not so much. I'm a big fan of public transit, particularly rail. So I've been doing some work down in LA these days, and I'm taking the MetroLink. Like hardly anybody I know takes the MetroLink. No. And, uh, you know, I was taking it out to Riverside for, we were visiting, I was doing a, a site, we're doing sustainability charrette with, uh, Riverside City College. And, you know, getting out there was fine, but then trying to get back into LA, there's only two trains. There's one at three and one at eight in the evening. It's like, come on, you guys seem to do, improve this. Um, and there's a lot of ugly architecture in between. I hate to say it. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, there's there lots is. of opportunity for improving yes. things, you know? And so observing that constantly, you know, you, you have the mind, Kind yeah. of shifting thinking. So you're not just obviously an advocate with, with clients or prospective clients, but just the community in general and cities in general. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And cities, I mean, cities are where it's happening, you know, and they're yeah. continuing. I mean, you have, you more, know, we have so. urban, uh, urban growth. I mean, we have our population continues to grow. More people are going to the urban environment again, because they want that. It, it, part of it is, is job driven, yeah. but part of it is, um, it's just social. We are social creatures and we like being around one another, right? We also like to have, you know, good services. We want to be able to go and have, you know, sushi at lunch and Mexican for dinner yeah. and, you know, and then, you know, probably go, go yeah. and, you know, and, and do our, you know, kind of fruit, fresh smooth, fruit smoothie or go yeah. to the farmer's market. And, but it requires a certain density of, of people in order to have that sort of, that diversity. So right. I'll take oh, a reach okay. on saying, do you think the human psyche really hasn't evolved to where uh, we'll not, we don't need, we need that, even though we don't uh, admit it, but we actually all do. Uh, yeah, no, we do. We need, okay. I mean, for the, there are a few people who say, who can say, it's like, I don't need anybody and I'll do my own thing. But I think for the most part, we all are that. I think the other thing too, is that we are all natural, natural creatures and we all have multiple senses and we need to have them all engaged. Right. We need to have environments that stimulate our sights, that have that stimulate our touch, our scent, you know, our taste. You and and I think that's one of the things they're also seeing, which is really cool in design, is that we are (laughs) bringing in that those we are bringing in the senses. We're bringing back the senses in our workplace. You're bringing back texture. We're bringing back color, which is really so important, right? And and you think hear things like biophilia, right? Okay. Bringing yes. plants yeah. indoors, right? So that is it, and and really making bringing nature inside, because nature. If you look at nature, it's all that, right? It has the color, it has the scent, it has the sound of the trees whistling, and that's, you know, that's in our DNA. That's millions of years old, yeah. right? And we recognize that we need to have it. Outstanding. Outstanding. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Comprehensive information on Bay Area classical music concerts can be found at the San Francisco Voice website, sfcv.org. For daily, weekly, or monthly information on classical music concerts throughout the Bay Area, simply visit sfcv.org. 
We're talking today with Kirsten Ritchie, professional engineer and director of sustainable design at Gensler. We were talking about the millions of years and we still haven't moved out of needing to need people. And you really tapped into that. And it almost sounds like it's a a spiritual connection, even though design is interwoven. Is that is that too much of a reach from my perspective or no, there is a... Oh, you know, I think there is. I mean, I'm a, emotional. At least. Yeah, yeah, emotional. I mean, okay. I, I'm a Halloween baby, so I believe in kind of the. Are you know, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you got to come up. Best day huh? to have a birthday. Oh, I can't ever. imagine what that um, Halloween's already but, off the hook. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it is. It's wonderful, but the, you know, the, there is that we have a connection with nature. I mean, we, you know, there is something that flows through the air, and then and 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 that nature is also other people. So um, we want to celebrate that. We want to have. We want to find ways to have people to work together more collaboratively. I mean, why is Facebook so successful? Why is Salesforce so? It's it's enabled people to stay to re-engage with you know whether it's their old college alumni or their you know kindergarten <laughs> friends, yeah. and they realize the importance of that, right? The value of that that it's part of your history, it's part of your ancestry, and we we like that. So, and I, I truthfully, I'd much rather have people engaging with one another than sitting in front of the TV and having you know kind of this artificial life thrown at them, saying this is the way you're supposed to be living. Yeah, right? and I think it's much much better to to have that activity. Now, so, you don't have to name any companies, but has there ever been a, a, an experience where it's kind of extreme where you walked in and said, "Look, this is what we like to do," and you go in and you can just feel it just just down. And oh, it's yeah. just, it's just, you can, you can feel the you misery, feel- so to speak. And yet you, and that you've turned it around. And if you can share any stories. Well, I, you know, yeah. I mean, we have, can't really name names, but you yeah. do know, I mean, just the traditional, the evolution of the call center. You know, there's a great where you would, call, typically, you know, okay, you yeah. would go in and it would just like, and people would be in their little cubbies and, you know, kind <laughs> yeah. of call. And now they're, they, they actually are seeing one another and they're sharing one another and there's a lot more life happening. Or even in, in tech is, a, is another great example of it just in general. I mean, everybody had their own private little cube, right? You went in and you just were coding away and it was, but it, the dead zone and you now go into, you, you know, go into, and we're talking the old, you know, the, the, the old school tech. I mean, you go into their spaces now and they've completely come around and they're much more design friendly. They have different places that people work. They have these really quick ad hoc, you know, get together meeting scrum rooms again, but they're also bringing in color. They're not, that's the, it, traditionally it used to be design aesthetic for tech or government is beige on white. Yes. Yeah. You know, okay. <laughs> it's yes, like beige it on white, right? Mm-hmm. And now you go in and you've got yellows and greens and pinks and oranges and purples and then whites. And then you've got, you know, wood and you've got all kinds of basketry and other things kind of coming into the space. So again, it's engaging the, engaging your senses and making you feel more alive. Yeah. And it's a place that you want to be. Right? <laughs> yeah. Do you think there was the founders or CEOs or the principals that made that shift happen or what do you do you think it was design this is kind oh, of it's design. question oh definitely i mean it was you know it's an experimentation it was little things it was design firms themselves starting out saying let's test this let's test this this is working and then and then other you know firms see that and they recognize it's like wait a minute we're losing people to these other firms because of these environments and stuff like that and so so yeah it it, it definitely grew out of design out of the creative class but also what drove it interesting is our technology we are no longer tethered to our desks, right? You don't have, you're not tied because you have this huge big tower <laughs> computer next yeah. to you, right? We all, we're carrying around. I mean, businesses are being run off your iPhones, right? Yeah. <laughs> or a laptop or a, or a tablet. So you suddenly don't have that. I have to be at my desk anymore. I can be working anywhere. And that's also driven the, you know, change in, in kind of workplace design. Does that also think- make people say, I want to be in a, if I can choose where I want to work, I want to be in a space that I want to work. Yes, but that space will change over the day. Share with right? us how. So, I yeah. mean, you think, you know, different, you, you have, we all have our different, you know, kind of ebbs and valleys of, of how productive we are. Different people want, will want to say, I need to come in an office. I need a jolt of action to kind of wake me up and get me going. It's like, you know, you came into our lobby, oh, a lively yes. actual place. And some people say, you know, I'm just going to work here for a couple hours because I just need this vibe. Others are going to come in and saying, you know what? I got to do heads down. I'm going to go hide. I'm going to, you know, sign myself a little huddle room and I'm going to there. Or somebody else is like, you know, I'm just pretty mellow day and I'm just going to go work in the, you know, kind of the, the general open plan area, but you have the choice, right? And it can, it, it can tie with your, with your moods and what you need to get done. Um, of course you want, you have, you know, there's invariably going to be meetings in your calendar and mm-hmm. you have to move yourself to those or you're doing them online. But really, you know, we have, because we become untethered, we, 
we can really do our work anywhere. And that has driven and enabled us to say, okay, we can shift up the environment you have where you work or where you play or where you learn. I mean, that's a whole education, you know, hugely changing the design, right? But there's another, you know, another environment that's really going through, I mean, major, (laughs) there's another major, major (laughs) shift up, right? Relative combination of we now have lifelong learning. People want to learn continuously over the life. You have the move, the online move and how that's affecting, you know, what kind of space you actually need in the campus. We have the recognition, you know, of, of, of needing to have good air quality and good daylight that you learn better. You know, we are, our brains work with outside air much better than just a lot of inside air. And so how do, you, how do we design for that? Yeah, you wrote, but, uh, I'm not sure when it was, uh, the 10 key design interventions for a healthier, happier, and more productive workplace. And you have 10 of them, but those 10 are loaded. I mean, they're loaded but, like with real, it seems like da- the data, reasons why. How did that come about where you actually said, hey, there's going to be 10 and we're going to let people know, you know, what they should be aware of and how they could better live? Well, I think that was an evolution. And it also was, again, to people saying, hey, we want to do the right thing, but we don't really know how. And so the idea of what are 10 simple things for you to be thinking about? And maybe you want to tackle all 10 or maybe you'll just say I'll take one. Right. So, you know, like the idea of getting people active at work. Right. Making staircases, if you have, if you're a multi-floor building or multi-floor office, how, what do you do to, to get people to want to take up and down the stairs versus not? You noticed I have, how we have our yellow right and orange here. painted doors. Yeah. Right. Oh, it looks yeah. like I want to go in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When we were at our other building, we had, um, you knew you when you're on the Gensler floors because they, our floor, That's we right. actually painted the stairwell. We had one bright orange and another bright green and the other bright blue. And so you yeah. go beige, 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 orange, orange, beige, beige, beige. <laughs> you did, huh? That's you right, did. huh? But at least it made it a little yes. more, you know, fun and attractive. Or that you get, you provide sit-stand stations, right? Getting people active so that they can choose to, okay, I'm sitting down, but I want to stand now. And then, you know, again, having different areas where you can, you know, do different things. It encourages people to get up and walk around. All the, that kind of stuff is, is really important. But, but it, it, again, it comes down to here, here's, you know, 10 ideas. And was, here's the idea and here's the why. I mean, I, got, okay. I am a, I am an engineer, you know, I love the data. I really do. And, and it, it actually, that's one of the things that really helps us with clients because many times they are also very data driven. And when you show them the statistics and they show them the information, they're saying, okay, I get it. Well, this is why we're going to invest in that kind of thing. Is it pretty uh, rapid that they do understand once you show them the, uh, yeah, many cases. Okay. Yeah. 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 But Even again, if they you know, get from always, zero. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's... And again, when you kind of give them an a la carte menu, people <laughs> yeah. say, hey, I'll take... Yeah, okay, menu. I'll take... You're not making me do everything, yeah. but I can go for that. You know, I can, yeah. I can believe in that. I can see that one working. And so that's the first. So you get, you know, do it, gets executed well, check. All right. So the next one, we, next project, we can take that as the baseline and we can add another one. And then we can come in and add another one. And then we can come in another one. And then they, you know, they'll pretty come along and say, oh, just do it all. Because we know yeah. it's all worked. Just go for it. Yeah. We love that. <laughs> you do love it. Also, it sounds like there's a lot of discovery. And I have this kind of this mindset now that uh, I'm more into discovery than I am creativity. What's your take on it? If, is, are they just as important to you? Or no, it is discovery. Or it is more creativity in coming to a solution. Oh, it's both. Okay. It's both. Share definitely. with us. And I think, it, and it's also recognizing that um, it's different kinds of creativity and different kinds of discovery, different kinds of innovation. And, you know, the part of it is just the always learning and always being aware of what's going on out there. So like, for example, what's happening with buildings and the use of dynamic glazing. So okay. that's having intelligent glass, turning our facades from being kind of you know, normal to, or just being there, it's glass does that to intelligent glazing where it actually can respond to the light outside to darken or lighten. Yes. Right. So you, the, and, and there are a number, a couple of companies that are working in that arena, but what does it mean to then to, as an architect, how do we take that invention and apply it to our buildings? Right. But it needs people out there knowing what's going on or the, you know, the whole idea. Now we have graphene paints that are coming yes, along that basically right, yeah. are highly resistive to anything sticking to them. Right. So they're, they, they, they'd be brilliant for, you know, when we have to paint buildings. Right. Because then they're not going to get dirty or that they can also because of their way that they are, they made to become a, a battery storage environment. So they actually we can use our walls to actually store power. And, you know, when we're generating during the day and then in the evening. But, and what does that mean to design? So, and it's beautiful being here in the heart of technology because we're seeing, you know, finally the transition of semiconductor from the computer into the stuff we use in the built environment. 
So again, like the intelligent, in, you know, in a dynamic glazing or intelligent glass, yeah. like the electronics used sit stand, or you know, things like like there's a great app, uh, Comfy, which basically integrates with your HVAC system, so you can from your phone you can control heat and cool right here, right? And what does that mean from a design perspective, right? That we can we can actually do smarter things. We can say, you know, we can enlarge the temperature band that we operate this building on, that we'd save a lot of energy doing that. And then if this one particular person wants it a little cooler, they can control their zone right there, right? But everybody else is comfortable with what it is. Yes. So, so, I mean, the, and those, those sorts of, the, you know, those are inventions that are coming on. People have to be aware of them. Yeah. And then what does it mean for how we design? Right? Yeah. How, how often are you out there looking for new technologies? All or, the time. Really? Oh, all yeah. The time. All the time. You I said mean, that rather quickly. Yeah. We actually, and we're both looking, we're also doing a lot to develop our own IP. Right. Oh, really? How, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, how can, how, how can we be really smarter? With like, you know, doing things, for example, oftentimes we'll have you know, a client will come and say, I want this space, but tell me how many people I can put in there, how many, what conference rooms. So it's called test, the, the process of test fitting. Um, and it traditionally is, you know, manually you're going in there and you're sketching it out and you're mm -hmm. measuring. But doing a lot of what we can do using AI, which we can, you know, and, and, and just, you know, big data computations, we can run a whole bunch of different scenarios and find the optimal configuration for the particular client, you know, based on it's how many people I want in there, how much conference room, you know, the size of conference rooms, what kind of break areas, and you just, you know, can start to crunch and come up with a whole bunch of different alternatives. And that's just so, not what you're doing. That's just what Gensler's doing. Yeah. Gensler's doing. I mean, you know, other firms are doing as well, but you know, those kinds of things of how we can be smart in our 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 intellectual capital, as I, it were. I mean, I like and, that. and really building building up that. You know, there's also some cool stuff that's coming on again using AI, where you know, traditionally you draw a plan and you'd have it in 2D and you'd show the client, say, "This is the layout," and people aren't, you know, there's like, "Wait a minute, why why do I have this great, you know, World of Warcraft, you know, yeah. virtual environment, and you're showing me this design in you know 2D?" So we've really, you know, we've upped the game significantly we use um we basically do all our design in 3d and now we're actually adding kind of augmented reality to it so we can show you know our clients can be standing there and say this is what it's going to look like finished that's you know around incredible yeah i mean that's really yeah and and so and it's it it really helps us because one of the biggest challenges you have in in the design process is the decision making. Sure, absolutely. You know, making the decision saying this is the way we're going to go. And the more that we can leverage the technologies that people are comfortable with, leverage the visual, it's easier for them to make the decision, for them to say, yeah, this is what I'm comfortable with and this is the, this is the way we want to go, go forward. So <sighs> faster, faster decision making, you know, projects executed faster, everybody's happier. Yes, I love that so much. Going back to that decision making again, you're making it look like as it, as it will be in essence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as that's what we do. Right. Oh, yeah. As close as you can yeah, right. to here's how it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Whereas even three, five years ago, I'm not sure it was that available. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, it, not. I mean, it, then it, how the technology is just is, is taking off. You know, where you're bringing in the importance of light, you know, just how, how it's reflecting off things or, or texture. If you're, you know, but your carpet or you're putting in, you know, hanging swings and you yeah. want people to get, really get the sense of how, how it stimulates your yourself, you know, makes you excited about, about the space. Yeah. This is The Modern Architect, KZSU 90.1 FM, Stanford. The California Water Impact Network, or CWIN, is a nonprofit organization that works to ensure equitable and environmentally sensitive use of California's water. Recent goals have included ensuring that adequate water flows through the SF Bay Delta and upstream rivers. Stopping poor irrigation practices, which can waste water and poison our land, waterways, and wildlife. And ensuring that water resources are allocated fairly. If you'd like to become a member, donate, or volunteer, go to c-win.org. That's c-win.org. We're talking today with Kristen Ritchie, professional engineer and director of sustainable design at Gensler. This is beyond exciting. How do you feel about influencing so much? especially in the built environment, because this is as forefront as I've heard. And, you know, I've got a lot of shows and if everyone's offended, we'll be offended. But, <laughs> but really, it just sounds like you're at the forefront of the forefront of, of where it's moving. 
Oh, well, do you guys that's, think that's of very that? flattering. You I guys, mean, we, we, yeah, well, you know, who doesn't want to be at the forefront, right? Well, I think well, everyone I think does. Right, everyone right, wants, wants to, to be, right. but you got to be willing to do yeah. what it takes to right. do that, and you have to uh, kind of set aside yourself to make that happen. Yeah, yeah but it really, in order for to do that, it really is about the partnership. You know, the okay. partnership that I have with all my other partners, with our with our colleagues, our all our other employees, right? It's there. It's not. This is not something that one person can do. I mean, it really sure. takes the the collective. Was um, it the constellation? The constellation of startups. Yeah. Yes. As we call ourselves. Yeah. yeah. So people have <laughs> ideas. They want to go, you know, I really want to work in this different practice area or I want to, it's a startup. I want to test new different technologies on, on how we do design, maybe doing some parametric modeling. I mean, and we really encourage people to, to do that. But it's by bringing that, having that mashup of all those different talents and that creativity for us as well as of our clients that we're able to deliver such wonderful projects. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, it's really important to, to always remember. It's, it's the, you know, it's a tribe. Yes. It comes back to we are social creatures, we're societal creatures. We work too well together, um, and and how do we how do we evolve the design process? How do we evolve you know kind of this whole all these changes that we have up now available to us from technology from a product side? The challenge is that there's so much out there, right? Yeah. How do you um, sift to, through it yeah, and find out yeah, what is uh, right? What's so we have you know things. One of the challenges we have is like I find all this great information, but how do I share it? I'm not going to do email blast to 5,000 people all the time. That's <laughs> tedious. So we have actually developed an internal tool called Design Labs that basically is an online, almost like a blogging platform, highly searchable. That when I find cool stuff, I can put it out there, and then it becomes available to anybody when they're doing you know a search on something, saying, "Hey, I want to you know where have we done PV on a building, or where have we done you know yeah. radiant ceilings, or what are we doing? You know, has anybody used XYZ product?" And they can just go on online and you can find that and it's live it's living with links and so you know that kind of it's amazing you know this wonderful repository but it also helps build up our own storytelling skills right because you realize i got to write a blog post and i got to want to make it something that people will be interested in so i like that you know, storytelling yeah, skills so hugely important hugely important and you know i think that's one of the things that's really interesting uh. when i observe working in architecture firm being having been an engineer architects are taught really in school how to tell stories right you have all the studios and you have to present your case and you know tell the story engineers are not taught how to tell stories we're taught to basically document yes indeed this product you know only uses this amount of energy or you know will provide this cooling heating and cooling but not the story behind it and so i think that's for me very interesting as an engineer coming in into an architecture firm and learning about the importance of the storytelling and then now taking it there back to the kind of engineering world and, and helping that structural engineer or that MVP yeah. person or that electrician or the lighting designer to be able to tell the story about what's, you know, both from how you're influencing the experience of the people and at the same point in time doing it in a way that's really smart from a resource perspective. Yeah. Right? Can you share with us a, you know, a personal story of talking with an engineer just personally that they come from that background and experience and then you, now that you're in this position to do what you do and sharing that storytelling what's their response usually uh, well you know if I they've think even we, said one. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well we had um we actually are um are launching with a couple of other firms uh an initiative called materials can it's the materials carbon action network and it really is about how we how we how manufacturers can redesign and work with their products to reduce the carbon footprint of those products and then how we as design firms can actually implement those into our projects to actually have lower carbon footprint buildings or interiors and we recently had a panel actually here last week as part of the you know it was the global climate action summit week last week on the panel we had carpet manufacturer concrete producer um contractor and then who is the fifth? Oh, airport, SFO. And so it was a real broad mm -hmm. range of people. But the guy from the, the concrete industry, he had great information. I mean, they're doing central concrete. They're doing wonderful things relative to reducing the footprint of their products. But we, when I presented, I was talking about this a small, a really small project we're doing here in San Francisco where we started, we said, we're going to pay attention to the carbon footprint of materials, right? And we did a baseline analysis and then we said, okay, we're going to pick what we know are low carbon, high performing products. We were able to reduce the carbon footprint of a small little project, you know, 9,000 square feet by about 43%, which is huge. Huge by paying attention to this. Um, but we did it in a storytelling way and we used some graphics and we used some color and the concrete guy said, okay, yeah, clearly I need to, we need to learn how to tell the story better because they're doing wonderful things, but you can't just throw up a bunch of numbers and okay. expect people to, to, to get it. So, so, you know, kind of that, 
that, that sort of thing. Or the same thing like with SFO, where we're doing this amazing work and really, you know, it's on the, sits on the, on the, on the shoulders of our MEP and our lighting designers in terms of how they've really helped to reduce energies and lighting and on, on, again, providing a really comfortable environment, but low energy systems. And again, helping, you know, putting it all together so there's a story that they can then also tell, mm-hmm. you know, showing kind of, yeah, you know what? We've reduced the thing 77%. That's huge. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, is. it is. It is. So, you know, oh, that's, um, yeah. that, that I think that, oh. you know, those are just some, in a kind of little just example. some of them. Those some, are awesome. Some little examples. Yeah. Kirsten, is there anything else you'd like to share with, you know, we, with, uh, with our audience and listeners that we may not have touched on in our, in our time together here? Yeah. Well, there's a, you know, I think a couple things. First of all, to recognize, you know, for every project, there's, yeah, there's a few big moves that you can take to do things, but a lot of it is just a lot of little moves. And all, t- each of us can, can make that little move, right? So thinking about your own space, you know, what could you do to make it to, to engage people a little bit more? Or what can you do to use a little less energy. I also think really important, I mean, I talked about the idea of, you know, we have sustainability resource conservation, we have well-being, which is really core, and then we have resilience. But the the thing that's really throw, flowing through all those that we all need to be paying attention to now is the carbon thing. And whether it is, you know, the footprint of the carbon in the in the the, you know, the chair that I'm using, or if it is, or the, you know, the concrete that's point that I'm putting in my structure, or if it's in the energy, if it is the carbon that I'm using to create a comfortable environment for people. And actually, are there better ways that I can do it? Like, let's bring back some open, you know, being able to open the windows. Yeah. Um, you know, idea or leverage natural light and make sure that my lights aren't on when I got enough light coming from outside. You know, some smart things there. And then also from a resilience perspective, I mean, the, the the truth is also carbon is closely tied to health. So it gets back to the health and wellness and well-being, right? And you've got longer growing seasons, you've got more pollen, we've got more allergens that people are responding to. You've got, you know, kind of other health issues. And then on the resilience, we know from sea level rise or or from extreme weather, that's also being caused by carbon. So that is, you know, I think the kind of the one thing moving forward in the next three to five years that, you know, the ask that I have of the audience Asking. is to really say, let's pay attention. What is our, you know, what is our footprint for, that, on our project or just how I'm living my life and what's one little thing that I can do to help reduce that? That that would be fabulous if people would just think about one little thing they could do. Well, you've been fabulous as well, Kristen. Thank you. It's been a real honor and pleasure having you on our show. It's been an absolute delight. Oh, thank you. I hope you I, consider coming back I again. I was going to say, we'd yeah, love to have no, you. <laughs> I'd love to have you back. Love to. This is tr- terrific. I love this, this, this uh, show today. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dior. Our guest today has been Kirsten Ritchie, Professional Engineer, Director of Sustainable Design at Gensler. Kirsten serves as one of Gensler's leading sustainability ambassadors, championing healthful and forward-thinking design solutions and leading public discussions around innovative and high-performance design and operations. Her experience encompasses the workplace, retail, hospitality, education, transportation, aviation, and infrastructure sectors. Kristen is also a recognized authority in green product standards and sustainability rating systems, including LEEDS and LBC. For more information, feel free to visit www.gensler.com. That's www.gensler.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, and is a production of KCC Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Darlene Franklin, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Jaggi. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kcsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kcsu.stanford.edu.
Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect.